What's up, guys? Cody and Matt here. Uh, not really sure who uh, who listens to anything we do, which is not much, but uh, we uh, we do a baseball podcast. We are uh, super pumped to be doing this new podcast that we're doing, and we're going to be covering uh, Game of Thrones. So um, I think we're just going to do a little introduction, kind of what got us into it, and we're going to uh, we're going to do season by season brie, uh, recaps. Leading up to the sadly the uh, final season, eighth and final season of Thrones comes out April fourteenth. Should be a, a fun little six episodes to watch, man. I can't wait. A lot of money getting put into this shit. But uh, I started. Did you read the books? You didn't read them, did you? No, I read uh, part of A Feast for Crows. I don't even remember which like season that that correlates to, yeah. but. I uh I didn't read the books. I've pretty I think I will at some point, but I want to finish the show first and then go through and read the books if he ever finishes them. Um but we're pretty much going to just cover the show. Like we're I might I mean we might bring up some stuff that we've seen like about a character not being dead that's in, you know, the books versus the show or something like that, but we don't really have the knowledge base to go into yeah, a lot of the books and stuff small like differences that. differences that we've heard yeah. of. So um I mean, honestly, like I started watching Thrones because when my brother-in-laws they all got into it and i think they've pretty much read all the books all three of them and we would just be at like a get together and i'm sitting there and they're just going through all this and i'm hearing name after name after name i'm like what are you talking about and i finally i think right before season three came out i binge watched uh seasons one and two and then got into it and i didn't always watch it like live but i would be like you know it's monday i'm watching it like that but here lately i've been making it a thing to watch it live like just that way i can't read any spoilers or anything like that and i've obviously been a big fan really enjoy the show yeah for me it was pretty much just hearing about it because of the hype because even even kind of during the first season i heard about it you know what more than halfway through i would think so i didn't know anything about it so i just started watching it and i was a couple episodes in and my wife would come in every now and then and think I was watching porn on HBO. <laughs> so yeah. she's like, you know, she comes in, what the hell is this? I'm like, just wait a minute, just give a minute. Yeah. This show. And like, she watches it now, we both do. So it's definitely progressed. And there's definitely, I mean, a story that, that kind of, it only took a couple episodes for me to kind of get hooked. So there's been, uh, there's like Danny will watch it like a lot of times she'll watch it just because we'll go over to her brother Dusty's and we'll watch it together um so she'll go and she'll pay a little bit of attention but she like doesn't super get into it there's too much and we're going to get into this when we do the uh all the character introductions and everything but the the incest relationship too much for her and that uh that scene with um that shadow demon that was born yeah that like pretty much like she was like what the fuck and she pretty much lost interest and then the the rape scene on uh and this is gonna have spoilers too so yeah. like don't i'm not gonna like this, this is gonna ruin everything for you right now um when joffrey dies and they do the the sex scene on the coffin thing like right by it like that was pretty much her point where she like she won't if it's just me watching it here she won't watch it but if we go over there she'll pay attention but um, basically, I mean, if you've watched it, you'll pretty much, I think you should agree with this. If you haven't watched it and you're using this just to kind of get caught up because you don't have time to watch every single episode prior to the new season. The thing I love about the show is like, there's, 
there's a lot of character development. I mean, yeah, you get like what you said. The first couple seasons, there's a lot of just like random nudity because it's an HBO show and they've got to do that to get whatever ratings they're going to get. Right. But you get away from that as the show goes on. There's still like blood and gore and stuff like that and there is still nudity, but it's not just no, it, it's, it's, it's not just there to be there. It's shock value and I guess, yeah. you know, HBO can do that so they do, but the story really starts off strong and if you, I mean, it doesn't take much to, to stick with it. The episodes are pretty gripping and they definitely have that I want to know, you know, what happens feeling even from early on and there's a lot of that going on there's always there's never just like once there's not one central storyline like the books they follow different perspectives like character perspectives like the show you're you're seeing pretty much everybody here and there and it is sometimes hard to kind of keep up with everything and there are especially during the you know kind of the middle of of a lot of the seasons there's a lot of episodes that don't have a lot of action but there's a lot of just talking. They're important. But they're, they're, that that tells more of the story than any of the you know large battles. The fight scenes any, are fun. Yeah. But those episodes where there are no fighting, yes. those are the ones where you will like four episodes down, you'll be like, oh shit, I remember him saying that now, and now that makes perfect sense. That's what I enjoy about it too. But what I tell anybody, like if they haven't watched it, it's like, all right, the first. The first season is a little bit boring compared to the rest of them because you're introducing a ton of characters. But once you get into it, like, yeah, you'll have those nudity scenes, like those you get away from because you don't need the shock value anymore because everybody's hooked on it now. Right. But it's there's there's so many different things going on, and you get to see char- a lot of character development. Like there are characters like Jamie Lannister, for example. Like when you first meet him, you hate his guts, and then you kind of hate him less, and then you actually start to like him. And then you hate him again, but then you kind of like him again. He's not as bad, and it just like I enjoy that. They're yeah, that. So the, and they're very good. The, the writers of the show are very good at making you feel a certain way about a character. Same thing happens with Stannis later. Yeah, on. that's what I was talking. Like yeah, Stannis with the uh, the red or uh, shit. What what's her name? Alessandra. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll uh, we'll get right into uh, kind of just gonna do the character introductions a little bit. Um, so the main, like one of the main families, you've got the Starks, um, they're from Winterfell up near the wall. Um, Ned and Catelyn, Eddard Stark, sorry, nicknamed Ned. Uh, their kids are Rob, Sansa, Arya, Bran, Rickon, and then Ned's bastard son, Jon Snow. Um, they're, they're pretty like well-respected in the show. Like Ned's supposed to be like, one of the most honest people in the entire Westeros kingdom. Right, he's still Lord of the North, so he commands all of the, pretty much all of the bannermen and all of the troops in what they call the North. Yeah, which is, a, I mean, your area where a lot of the people don't, it's not like a well high populated area, it's like more like wilderness, like you're up closer to the wall, so it's like frigid temperatures, stuff like that. So they're, they're a hardy bunch is what I would say. But the interesting thing about Ned is... He's this honorable guy, but he's got a bastard son that he came back with from war, and that doesn't add up. So that's a big focal point for pretty much the entire show, and like we won't get into all of that right now, but that's they show a lot of tension between Catelyn and Ned over John. They show a lot of tension between John and Catelyn. Yeah, big time. So like you kind of you know something like something's not right there, but you don't know. You have no idea what's actually going on yet with that with that point. So. Um, another thing tied in with the Starks is they, at one point in the, the season, they find 
a, a pack of dire wolves that are abandoned. So each kid gets one. So some of them are prominent in the show. Some of them aren't. We're not going to go through all the names right now because some of them don't even matter. But um, one of the other big families that the uh, Starks are dealing with, uh, and everybody has to deal with for that matter, are the Lannisters. Um, they're basically their their head of household is Tywin Lannister. The kids are uh, Cersei and Jaime, which are twins. And then Tyrion, and Tyrion is, what do they always call him? The imp? Yeah. So he's like a dwarf little person, whatever you want to call him. Um, but he's by far like one of the most popular characters, very witty, um, plays a main, main role in you know the entire series. But big thing with the Lannisters are the relationship between Cersei and Jaime. They're, they love each other. A lot. And they're well off. They have money. Yeah, very rich. A Lannister always pays their debts is their big saying. Um, they're, they're in King's Landing, which isn't, like, I mean, it's not, like, right by Winterfell, but it's, it's a little bit of a trek up there, but not, like, something they don't they do not do frequently. Um, Cersei is married to Robert Baratheon, who is the king, um, and they have three kids, which are Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella. Um, Joffrey's the next in line. And you can pretty much watch one episode with him and know that he's a he's a little prick, and your hatred for him really only grows and grows and grows as the show continues. Um, Tywin. One thing I do want to say about Tywin Lannister is, I really enjoyed like through the seasons, watching him change. Like this season, I won't really go into a whole lot else, but like this season, you hate his guts. Like he's just a prick, and it's a lot of it's because of how he talks to to Tyrion. And how he treats him. But he's just a prick. And you hate his guts. Well, he's not in the first season much. And you get a lot of the fact that he's not at King's Landing when the show starts. It's it's Cersei and Robert, uh, you know, as king and queen. And you hear people talk about him a lot before you ever really meet him. Yeah. And he's, you know, the, the head of the household. He cares, A very strong, like a yeah, very, he very cares, strong. He cares more about their family name than anything. Than anything. Yeah, that's all that matters to him is the Lannister name. That's it. And, and money and power and trying to gain that <coughs> for his family is pretty much the that's all only he will thing do. He cares about. He'll literally do anything to make that happen. Um, another big, uh, big, like it's not a big family, but an important family are the Targaryens. Um, you see uh, Daenerys and Viserys, her brother. Um, the the big connection that they have to everything is Robert Baratheon's rebellion was to remove uh, their dad, the Mad King Ares II, from the throne. So that they're basically in exile. Which we're never we're never shown any of this as the viewer. We're no, yeah, you don't see where, yeah. where, where we're at currently. Where the show starts is twenty years after Robert's rebellion, and uh, Daenerys and Viserys are on the run. Because their father, the king, has been murdered. They're they're a threat to the to the throne because of their royal bloodlines. So um, we'll get into them too. Um, the other big one connected to them is Cal Drago, um, who's basically leader of a nomad tribe, and he's got a hell of an army, and that's why he's so valuable. And then from there, I mean, there are some other little characters like you've got Baelish, and I say little, but he he plays a big part in the show as well as. He's called the Lord of Coin. The Lord of Coin, so he's little like the finger, treasurer, pretty much. He's he's a slimy dude, and as soon as you see him, you can pretty much tell that he's a slimy dude, and you'll always just want to take a shower after you see him on screen. Um, Lord Varys is another guy. You don't really know much about him. He's a he's a eunuch, 
uh, like a ball guy. He, he definitely stands out. Um, but you just you know he's got his hands and everything, but you don't really ever know what he's doing. He's just kind of and at this like point, they're he's... they're the untrustworthy people, and these guys are on like the king's council, so they have a a wealth of information, but you really don't have any idea what their uh, what their intentions really are. And then past that, the only other really big thing from season one to introduce is uh, like up at the wall, which is north of Winterfell. Um, you've got like the Night's Watch, which they're basically like. Anybody that if you commit a big crime, you can you know take your take the vows, take the vows, or lose your life. So you've got a bunch of criminals basically manning a wall that was created to to separate the rest of Westeros from what's north of the wall. And we don't really know what's north of the wall. You'll see some wildlings, but then there's there's the White Walkers, like the Frozen people, and you know I don't even think at that point they're called that or anything like that. But you just you don't know what point, they are. They, yeah, they're they're pretty much a myth, and no one's seen a, a White Walker in over you know what hundreds of years. Yeah, so like it's basically they're a myth, and it's something that's kind of just it hasn't happened in such a long time that the wall isn't really as important as it was before when that stuff was all fresh in everybody's mind, but. Um, from there, I mean, I think it's pretty much time to start going into the plot for uh, the rest of the season. All right, so when season one kicks off, you uh, you pretty much the setting is it's 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 not a bad time right now. Uh, we're what twenty years away from Robert Baratheon's rebellion when uh, the Mad King had just started trying to burn people alive. Like regardless of how bad of a king he was going to be. He's not the Mad King. So everybody's pretty much happy. You're in the middle of of the longest summer ever. Um, the recurring thing is obviously if you've ever seen anything of Game of Thrones is winter's coming. Right. So that's the big thing is everybody's worried that this winter's going to happen and they want to be prepared for it. So and that's they, Yeah, they make a good point of expressing how it's not really like seasons in our world or whatever you can have summers that go on for multiple years you can have winters that can go on for anywhere from what we're told is two to ten years uh currently it's the longest summer on record that like like you said that anybody's seen so it's been a pretty peaceful time like i mean obviously the rich are rich and the poor are poor but there's nothing major going on the thing that kind of kicks uh this all into motion is John Aaron is the king of the hand, which basically means that he's the king's right-hand man. It sounds exactly what it is. Um, he dies, and you don't really know what's going on. Um, but at that point, you know it's a big enough deal that Robert Baratheon, who they show as being like, he's very fat. Like, he's not staying in shape as a king. Like, he's drinking to excess, eating to excess, and it's everyone's the whole Lannister family's disgusted by it, for a lack of a better term. Um, so they all head to Winterfell, and there he's basically trying to get Ned to come to King's Landing, leave his house and his family, and come to King's Landing and be his new hand. So Ned, honest, like he really he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to leave his family. But the thing that kind of pushes him into that is his wife. His wife, Catelyn. So she basically tells him it's his duty to do it. So in the in the midst of that, in that agreement, comes out the arrangement that Sansa and Joffrey will be wed when jo- like when they're of age or whatever, and 
when it'll, Joffrey yeah, becomes so it'll king. It'll tie those two houses, the Stark so, and the Baratheon house together. Yeah. So, and so yeah, so Robert, the current king, and Ned both fought together during the, the Robert's rebellion. rebellion. Yeah. And that's how they were kind of friends to each other, but Catelyn really pointed out, and that's why uh, he came north to ask Ned to be the hand of the king was that he needed somebody that he could trust. And that's the big kicker there is someone that he could trust. So he got the most trustworthy person in all of Westeros and Ned. So Ned agrees. Um, right around that time, basically the the purpose of, of him going there is not just to be the king of the hand. He's also supposed to investigate John Aaron's death. And the reason he's investigating that is his wife, Catelyn, her sister is Liza Tully. She was married to John Aaron, and she tips them off that the Lannisters were behind it. They're plotting against the throne, and they need to keep an eye out for that. So Ned basically goes into the area that the Lannisters all control and is basically getting the terrible task of investigating them to to prove to everyone that they're shady people, basically. So... He's helped out by Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, who, like I said, is is a slimy dirtball, and you just there's something about him that you, that you just don't you don't you don't trust. And what that kind of what he gets uh, what he tips Ed, Ned off to is the fact that all three of the Lannister or the the Baratheon children all have blonde, very striking blonde, like platinum hair, which is the same color hair of the Lannister family, with the exception of Tyrion, which is a different story. Um, but every Baratheon, like, in every book you'll read about of all the, the histories and everything, every Baratheon has had brown hair. So, so from what I recollect, Ned actually, I think he's tipped off to a book that exists, and he finds a book and looks through a book, and that's where he reads that every Baratheon in the past has had dark hair every single one of them and now he's got three kids that all have like blonde blonde hair, blonde hair. so that kind of opens his eyes up he starts investigating um at one point he goes and the only reason like we're going to bring this guy up we didn't do the character introduction on him because he's not a big role he's just an interesting character because you see him in season one so you know like he's there's some sort of importance to him his name's gendry um while ned's doing his uh his investigation, like he's going out and looking for, for Robert's bastards, which just to also put in perspective, Ned, how honor, how much honor Ned had, he came back with this random bastard child, but Robert Brathian has how many bastards? Like these Kings were just going out and banging away while they were fighting and have a ton of, of bastard children. So he's going through this and he finds Gendry, who's the eldest of them. And you see him and then you, you don't he's really a blacksmith. Yeah, he's a blacksmith. So he's just training to do that or whatever. And he ends up, you don't really see much of him, but when we get through this other part, another character will see him, but you never see him again. And that's just interesting to me. But not to get sidetracked. Um, while all this is going on, there's a big boar hunt, and it's said that Robert was too drunk, drunker than he should have been, got impaled by a boar, basically, and then he ends up dying. So, since Ned's the, yeah, the hand... Yeah, they, they do it pretty quick, so it's... it's yeah, it happens of, pretty he, fast. He's he's injured, so he doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't die right away, but he's injured, but he doesn't last very long after he gets injured. 
So Ned Ned's supposed to rule until Joffrey comes of age and is able to take over his duties, but that doesn't happen at all. And this is where you kind of start to see um, kind of how shitty the Lannisters... Well, I take that back. Something I completely forgot to even touch on was... So Bran gets to see... Brandon Stark. Bran Stark, which is Ned's son. One of the younger Stark children. is He likes to climb. So he sees Cersei and Jamie fooling around. So that's where you get introduced to the, the incestual relationship that they have. And Jamie's reaction is to push him out of this tower. So you naturally think the kid died, but he didn't. He's in a coma. They don't they don't think he's gonna walk or anything like that, I believe. They make it a good point of showing the shock of both Jamie and Cersei that Bran doesn't die and he is still actually alive. Yeah, so that's that's a big point too, because he's a very big loose end at this point for them because he's in a coma. They don't know if he's gonna wake up or not, but if he does and he remembers and tells, the jig's pretty much up for them. So at this point, like the the tension is is getting high already between the Starks and the Lannisters, but nobody knows what happened. So as as that's progressing, um, Joffrey and them they they say no, like Ned's not going to be the king. We're imprisoning him. So that happens, and they basically they're going to try him for treason based off of him looking into. Joffrey not being the rightful heir to the throne because he's not Robert Baratheon's son, because he's Jamie's son. So speaking out against the king is is a or the soon to be king, I guess prince yeah. at that time is a treasonable uh, act in in their mind. So then from there, there's a, there's a lot of discussion about you know should Ned be killed? Should he just be in prison? Like what should he have to go to the Night's Watch? Like all this stuff. Um, Everyone tells Joffrey not to kill Ned because it's going to start creating an uprising and another rebellion, and that's not what anybody wants. But, of course, he's the little cunt that he is, and he has Ned killed. And when this happens, like, a, a big thing was Sans is there. Yeah, we're not and we're not talking about, like, killed, like, someone no, sneaks like in his cell at public, night and publicly, public execution. Yeah, public like, beheading. head chopped off, and you're just, you're shocked. Like, at this point in the show... That was what episode nine, I think. It was episode eight or episode nine. So you're not even one full season in yet. And the guy that you were following, like you see Ned, and like he's the focal point for the most part. And then you've got Robert Baratheon, who's like, oh, he's gonna go work with his buddy again, and everything's gonna be well. Robert dies. Then Ned dies, and everyone's just like, what the fuck, dude? You just killed off your main character. And it wasn't like it was some no name actor either. Right. It's Sean Bean, like right. the biggest name guy I think in that show at that point. And then they, they kill him off. And you're just like, holy shit, man. And on top of that, like, Sansa was there to see it. Arya was right there when it happened. And then from there, like, another thing about, like, what just to show you how, like, sadistic Joffrey is, there's there's a scene where he takes her up. Like, they put his head on a pike, and he takes her up there and makes her, like, look at his head and shit like that. So And, like, swear her allegiance yeah, to, swear to her him. Yeah, swear allegiance to and, the and, king. And, yeah. Like, you just really get to see how, how much of a, like... I don't know if it's a psychopath or a sociopath. One of the, whichever is worse is what he is. He's just a little cunt. I don't use that word very often, but that it's the truth. He's like, he's the worst type of person in the like in the world. He just the way he treats her and everything is just it's so sadistic, and that just the the psychological warfare that he plays with her is just is terrible. So 
Ned dies. Sansa's stuck there, basically. Yeah, she's being, essentially she's held a, against like, her, yeah, her a will. hostage. Yeah. Um, and she can't do anything because everybody, even though her dad's dead and she's trying to mourn him, everyone's just in her face about, oh, you, you're mourning a traitor? So, like, she's pretty much... She's screwed up mentally. Yeah, like she's Arya a young escapes. girl screwed up. Arya's Arya able to escape off. on her own, and she's her goal is to head back to Winterfell, where the rest of her family is. So she makes that track, and then she actually runs into Gendry and becomes kind of befriends him a little bit before they part ways again. So the weird thing with him is you see him with Ned, and then you see him with Arya, but then you really don't see him again after this season. Like we haven't seen him again yet. Well, you see him later on. Well, later a on, lot. yeah. But it's been a long, long, long time, and it's just it was remember really, that? really remember weird. The whole controversy over the yeah. thing. He's the fastest man in Westeros. But yeah, I digress. We'll talk yeah. about that later. We'll, we'll get to that. So. um the other, uh, Rob, is he's already been proclaimed King of the North now since Ned's dead, and then he decides that it's time to raise an army. Yeah, Rob and, is the man. Rob yeah. is, he after Ned Stark's death, and it doesn't take very long because he decides to amass an army and head south to King's Landing because he's, you know, obviously he's pissed off at the way that, that everything was dealt with. He wants with. revenge. He wants revenge for he's his father's death. He's angered by revenge. And he, he thinks that Joffrey is the number one person responsible for that, and he wants to get his sister back, too. At that point, you know, he doesn't know that Arya escapes north to head back to Winterfell, so his goal is to get both Sansa and Arya out of there. At this point, one thing you kind of realize is, like, when with the Stark household, like, with the Lannisters, you know, like, you can kind of see, like, Tywin is is holding everything together, but if he's not in the picture, everything's going to fall to shit because... Like, Jamie's just going to follow Cersei. You don't really know how evil Cersei is yet, but you can see she's very manipulative, and she wants the power herself. Yeah, it's, and, it's, then, and that's the difference, and, and we talked about that, was that Tywin's... To, for Tywin, his family meant the that's, most to That's him. it. For Cersei, it seems like Cersei is the it's most her. important to, to And everything herself. else falls to the right, right side. So if she, you know, she, I, I don't think that it, it, she would accept it if it wasn't her in power. Yeah, there's just no, like, you just, you don't see all of that yet, but you can see that she's very manipulative. You can tell that she wants the throne for herself. You can tell that Jamie's just pretty much going to ride her coattails. But with the Starks, like, Catelyn's a very strong woman. Like, she's a very strong personality. And you kind of see, like, the, the evil side of her with John and him being, like, the bastard child. But you can also, like, in when Rob, he's not, he's a little bit emotionally fragile. Especially when it comes like with Ned's death and everything, so like she kind of pumps him up and kind of yeah, she's she, she's thinking game plan too. Like right. she's not he's, just yeah, he's the head of the household now. So but he, she's helping with that. Like she's coordinating other things like stuff. She's not just sitting there mourning. Like she's helping him to become the man that that he needs to become. So he gets his army raised to you know avenge his dad. Um, John is not in the picture at this point. He has gone prior to Ned leaving. John went uh, up North to the, the Night's wall. Watch. So basically, like he didn't commit a crime or anything like that, but where he's at, at with the Starks is he's not a Stark, even though he is a Stark. He's got the last name Snow because he's a bastard, and he's never going to be the Lord of Winterfell or anything like that. So if he's going to have any sort of, of meaningful life, he needs to go up to up to the wall and you know work his way up there and become prominent. So he's already up there, so... Once you've made that, that, like, you've taken your vows, it's to death. Like, there's no leaving it for family matters or anything like that. And that's a big key thing here, too, is, like, John is really kind of torn. 
doesn't know if he's going to stay with the Night's Watch or if he's going to leave. Right, because and, he finds out about Ned yeah, Stark's death. Yeah, and he wants, he wants revenge as well. So while all that's going on, Rob gets his army together. They end up having a battle at River Run, and he captures Jamie. So when he when they take uh, Jamie prisoner, that pretty much just further furthers the the bad blood and the hatred between the Lannisters and Starks, which will just continue and continue to amount. But while all like you're focused on all of this shit going on at between King's Landing and just you know Winterfell, while all this is going on, you've still got all the stuff going on up at the Wall with John, and like there's. There's not like that many exciting moment things that happen up there, but his is more of just kind of of turmoil. Like showing that he's in a shitty situation. He might not be a bad dude, but now he's up in this situation where he's obviously the top of the class. Like he's been raised by right, the, so, the so king the, of the that, north. That's kind of the thing is he comes up there and he thinks that he's joining like an army of people who are well trained, you know, not like assassins or anything like that, but yeah, not a bunch of criminals who kind of just settle on doing this that may not have had, a, you know, a past experience in fighting. He's well trained. He knows how to shoot a bow. You know, he knows how to handle a sword. Like he, yeah. he understands. Like he's been raised a lot different. Like these guys are thieves, and you know the so some of the worst. He's people. kind of disappointed to see the level of the other people, the caliber of the, the other, ca- yeah, the the other guys the other that's in the Night's Watch. The other. The other big thing that you got to take into consideration too is this wall is fucking massive. Like way up in the air, super super long, and it hasn't been repaired properly in how long. They're not staffed. Like they've got you'll hear them as they say like, you know, when shit starts popping off, like we got to get these people moved from this tower to this tower and we've got to defend this tower and they never have enough people. So it's not like they've got this big, humongous amount of people and shit should be going well. You're way up north, way up in the cold, way high up, nothing but snow to see for how far. It sucks. You're understaffed. Your conditions suck. Like, it all sucks. And John's going through all this with his dad dying, leaving his family, all this shit happening. And he kind of starts to uh, to get in good with uh, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, which is uh, Lord Commander Mormont. And he ends up gaining his respect enough to actually get his uh, family sword. He passes that down to him. That's called Longclaw. And that's a big thing because I forget, was there's a bear or something? I forget what the Mormont crest was. It's a bear, right? I think so. And he gets it changed to a wolf yeah. because of like the whole dire wolf, dire wolf situation. Um but the only, I mean, really, honestly, the only other big names from, uh, like, the Night's Watch that you really, really need to care about is, like, Samuel Tarley, who's this, has no business being there. Like, he's not going to ever save you in a battle. Um, he's just a heavy set dude that's... Knows how to read. Yeah, he knows how to read. Like, he shouldn't be holding a sword, but he's, like, a nerdy guy. Um, he's, like, John's, like, best friend, basically. And he'll be he'll be prominent, you know, as the as the show progresses. Um, so yeah. So, but another so, like the big thing, like kind of like we touched on in the intro, is no one's seen White Walkers. Like this is basically it's been so long that it's like a myth. Right now in this in the season early on, you get to see the White Walker that destroys the guy and everything, but you have no idea what they are yet. You literally have no idea whatsoever what they are. 
You just see them as these and creatures. The, and, the, and the way that they talk about the wildlings is they don't seem like much more of a threat to where you really need a thousand foot wall to keep them no. out. No, the wildlings are basically just a nomadic tribe yeah. that lives north of the wall. Yeah, it like survives on whatever. Yeah, they can there's find, no I need. Guess. There's no need for a wall to keep them out. Like you've got them outnumbered with the other armies. Like I, that's not the issue. But you don't really know exactly like what's going on. But that those scenes are kind of more. I think more development on John. And his character, and it's also showing you the landscape of what you're going to need to see in the future. Like, the more familiar you are with it now, yeah, the, far the more it'll make sense down the road, which is where everything's going to end up. But, uh, and even meanwhile, while all this is going on, you've got all kinds of other shit going on on the other side of the world. You've got the Targaryen family. So, the significance here is they're basically, they're the rightful heirs to the throne. They've got the bloodline. They've got the... The Valyrian bloodline. Yeah, they're technically the next in 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 line because their father was the king. So there's... So they've got that, but they're also they make a big deal about the Valyrian bloodlines and how like that's the biggest problem with Viserys is he can't stand being where he is because he's that pompous. Like I come from money, I should not be on the run. I should be sitting on the throne, and everything he does is is reflective of that. He doesn't care about Daenerys. No. Like, at all. And there are, like, scenes where he strips her down and, like, basically just does the worst shit to her. And the thing that you don't really see, like, when you're watching the show compared to the books is in the show, she's a woman. In the books, she's, like, 13 or something. Over 13, something like that. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, a 12 or a 13-year-old that you're talking about that's having all this shit happen to. Like, that's, like... The psychological warfare. Well, yeah, because her brother, who's the only person that she can really trust, who she's on the run with, is telling her to do all this He's stuff. He's a piece so, of shit. So he can Basically be... Basically pimping her out. Right, so he can be king. Yeah, not even that she can be queen. He right. can be king and restore their family to prominence. So, I mean, you see pretty quickly that he's a he's a dick and he's a piece of shit. So what, uh, what ends up happening with them is they end up meeting uh, with Cal Drago and... The uh, Dothraki army. They're yeah, this like, all happens in what they call Essos. So they flee to the free lands of Essos over the Narrow Sea. It's not a... It's very different. Like, that's one thing that you notice in the first season is, like, there's Winterfell, where a lot of it takes place. Very snowy, cold. And then where they're at is a lot of deserts yeah. and stuff like that. It really shows... It shows you a lot of like the desolation and stuff right, like that. Kind like, of further the imagery of what she's going and through. And they do they do a good part about or a good job of that, especially at King's Landing, where the Iron Throne is. Is it's it's very it's on the water. It's almost like tropical. Yeah. They, but but when you deal with where Danny is at Daenerys over the narrow sea, it's very much desolate desert yeah, kind of. That's light. why there's nothing but nomads. Like you've got to travel. So the the significance of Cal Drago is he's got a massive massive army that is on horseback so and they're all excellent close yeah, range they're, melee fighters they're, it's a, a deadly deadly army to have at your disposal so Viserys marries Daenerys to Cal Drago so a lot of the development there is that he's a savage and you know she doesn't understand him so there's like I mean there's some there's some scenes that like don't sit well with people like basically right. like him, I mean, more or less, Tim raping her, basically. And if you think about it, he's a grown-ass big man, and he's doing this to a 13-year-old. So, like, there's some significance there. But 
you know, as things progress, like she falls in love with maybe it's like Stockholm syndrome or something like that. It actually kind of sounds kind of shitty when you talk about it out loud and say it that way. Right. It's like I'm watching this show where this dude raped his 13 year old and then she fell in love with him and becomes super powerful. Yeah. And I, I think it's 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 That's more of the fact that she she really does love him. And once she realizes that she does, she wants to be like the queen of the Dothraki. She doesn't care as much about like what her. Well, yeah, the because, reason because before, her, her brother never like tells her any of this. She just says, you know, you know, you you're we're gonna marry you off to this guy. It's not like you have to be his queen and you have to be like, you know, the yeah, the you're Draki. just marrying him. Yeah, exactly. Until I don't need his army anymore, and then we'll break plans and do something exactly. else. However, one of the most uh, most fun deaths of Thrones still to this day is Viserys' death. Uh, Drago gives him, I think he says, a golden crown. Yeah, and dumps molten metal all over gold all over his head and kills him so that's kind of the first thing that kind of shows you that that Daenerys will do something drastic if she needs to to uh, benefit herself so once he's out of the picture that's where she really starts you know making the effort to learn the language learn not just the language but there's there's so much of their culture and stuff like that so she's learning that um Jorah Mormont is actually in the like in with them and he's actually like helping her to kind of do this, and he's kind of like her confidant almost. Yeah. But then there's also this weird thing where he's like kind of in love with her too. So that's yeah, kind of a creepy. little bit. And that yeah, like you said, because this guy is obviously I don't know maybe like over thirty, like thirty five years old, maybe thirty five, forty. They try to portray him, or at least yeah. he looks that old. I don't know. If they I'd actually, say like forties. Yeah, I don't know if they actually say how old he is. Yeah, but, he hasn't lived like a privileged kind of, life either. And, and through him, like being accustomed through proximity, like he's he's the one who's supposed to bring make her more Dothraki. He's supposed to. He speaks her language. Like he's supposed to teach her how to be a queen he's supposed to teach her the language he's supposed to teach her the customs and like all this all this stuff so she like he pretty much becomes like her her right hand man and her yeah. like uh advisor on 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 the whole on the whole subject so like it, it is kind of weird because they even early in the first season they kind of show that like he has this creepy attraction yeah, to someone weird. who's supposed to be you know yeah. less even, than 15 yeah. years old so yeah, it's even it's then, weird but I mean, on the show, I mean, she at least looks older. But it's still, I mean, you you've got to know that there's no way you stand a chance with her in that aspect. So like, why are you even like? Why do they even show that focal point? But uh, you find out why, I guess. But uh, so basically, while they're you know gathering up this army and everything, she's in love with Cal Drago. He's in love with her. She's kind of getting the respect from the people a little bit. Like she like I didn't really expect to happen. Um, in the midst of all this, he goes off and what he fights one of his underling guys for power or whatever. It's like yeah. a, a power battle or whatever, and he gets wounded pretty bad. So that's the thing about the Dothraki is they're they're kind of a horde and they they're they're very like close knit. But you definitely have to show like even strength. As, even, Everything's right, based off even strength. even as as the call even as the like leader of their of their horde or like their 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 group uh, of Dothraki. Drogo still had to show that, like, on on a constant basis, that his way was the right way, and he you're had to man. show that. You have to show not exactly. even that your way is the right way; that you're the man, and no, who's going to stop? And you're me? strong enough to back yeah. up whatever you decide. I'm leading to do. this army. If you can dethrone me, then dethrone exactly. me. Exactly. Until that day, I'm the leader, and what I say goes. So that's a big hit for her because she can't compete with these guys physically and shit like that. So 
that kind of puts her like back in a downtrodden state because right as you feel like things are going well for her, shit hits the fans. Now he's he's mortally wounded. Um, she ends up meeting this witch. She's supposed to take care of him. Doesn't get any right. better. She's actually captured on a raid that the Dothraki do. Yeah, and she's like a prisoner, I guess. So, Which is common for nomadic tribes. Yeah, you yeah. take people, and then the warriors obviously just have their fight, do whatever they want. But the other yeah. people are made slaves, basically. So she's like a slave for them. So she basically, Danny makes a very, very big move, and she sacrifices her unborn child so that this witch will bring Drogo back to life to heal him. Yeah. So she does that, but he's not the cow Drago that he was. He's basically a vegetable. And she pretty much says to Danny, like, I didn't say he'd be normal. I just said I'd bring him back to life. So obviously that's another major setback. So now she's, she's lost her unborn child that she made the decision to lose, to sacrifice for Drogo. And now he's no good to her. So she suffocates him with a pillow. So they're going to give him his big, uh, King's giveaway, He's so off, yeah. they, uh, they've got the funeral pyre set up. Um, boss move of, on her part is she takes the witch and ties her up to the pyre with her, and then she grabs um, the one thing that we didn't touch on that's obviously a major, major part in this is as part of her wedding gift or the dowry or whatever to marry Dra- Kyle Drago, she gets three Fo- ancient fossilized. Like, fossilized dragon eggs. Like, dragons haven't been seen in hundreds of years, thousands of years, something like that. So, like, it's not, you don't really think much of it. Well, right, but, but her family is known for the last time the dragons did exist. They were, they're kind of like dragon riders, I guess. They were the ones who, who had the, the force led by the dragons in the past. But it just been, like you said, no one had seen, you know, the last dragon. His bones, I think, you are in, you know, the bottom of King's Landing, and they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're talking hundreds of years. And they're also, like, you can't, you don't really see it so much, I don't believe, in the first season as you do, like, later on. But you'll find out that, like, when we think of a dragon, we think of a big, humongous, massive dragon. What had happened was they had kept them, basically tried to keep them as pets. And as you domesticate them, they were getting smaller and smaller, so they just died out because they weren't like dragons like we think of. So, um like I said, she ties the witch up to the funeral pyre. She climbs in the fire with with her dragon eggs. And she, of course, does, like, it's a pretty emotional scene there. Because, yeah. like, basically she's saying, fuck it. Like, I've lost everything now at this point, And I'm done. I'm climbing in here with him. And I'm dying with my newborn or my unborn kid and my husband. And I'm done. So the big fire happens. And then basically the next scene is her sitting down with a dragon in her arm naked untouched so that's how season one ends so like that's it's a pretty powerful scene to end on because what you've basically seen is the starks who you thought were going to be the family that was on their rise to prominence they took a big hit with ned being killed the kids are fucking scattered you don't know what's going to happen yet to them um you've seen Jon snow a little bit he's downtrodden like this isn't a happy story you're he's kind of looking for his place in the world and he he kind of they make it seem like he may regret his decision only like minutes after he makes it and it's just there's there's a lot of turmoil going on and it seems like definitely that the lannisters are 
are the shittiest, worst people in the world, but they have all the power. And the money. And all the money and all the resources to do everything. You don't know, like, the Starks look like they're in trouble. Um, Danny, up until the point she comes out of this fire, and, every, and like I said, it's a really moving scene. Like, everybody starts bowing to her, and that's pretty much how you know she's going to be very significant in the show. She just climbed out of a fire with dragons. And it's, you know, it's a very, very, very big move for her to, to continue, but... Um, yeah, I mean, right now the Lannisters are getting off well, and everybody else is pretty much taking their losses at this point, and that's going to be a pretty common common thing that you see. But, uh, I mean, really, like, in this, I guess in the first season, it's kind of hard to have really, like, prominent deaths. But, obviously, like like I said, you see Ned and Robert Baratheon. You think that they're going to be, you know, two of the main guys in the show. At least Ned. Right. He dies. Robert Baratheon dies. Viserys dies in a very, very cool way, like one of the best deaths in Thrones up until now, still to this day, and then you lose Cal Drago. Like, I really liked his character. Like, at first, you see him as, like, that that barbarian, like, uncultured, stuff like that, but then as the show... He, he grew to yeah, like her, too. Yeah, and it the whole situation changes, and you're really rooting for him, and then he dies. Right. And you're like, oh, they're going to bring him back. Nope, he's dead again. Yeah. And you pretty much, if you're paying attention, you'll see in the first season that this isn't like a happy ending story. This is a show that's going to show you the ugly sides of war that you don't see glamorized in movies and stuff like that. Regardless, as of the way we're sitting right now. Especially the throne. The Iron yeah. Throne is <clears throat> ugly. It's, it's, it's a throne made of, like, swords. And it's nothing... You know, you think of everybody's fighting. It's dark. Yeah, it's dark everybody's too. It's fighting not like a for sunlit this, this big grandiose thing, like it's some throne that's like covered in gold or something, and it's not. It just isn't. It's when you when I think of a throne room, I think of like the big open areas where people sit on the sides. The throne is right there, right where the sunshine comes in. It's like red and gold, and everything's well lit. Not in this. Like that throne is dark. It looks like it's in a fucking dungeon. Yeah. So I mean. From there, pretty much where the season ends is the Starks. Like, and what I was saying back to like not being a happy ending. Like, this is showing you that you've got to make sacrifices. One season in, you're already seeing. Like, even if even if Rob Stark were to to take the throne, he still just lost his dad. Yeah. If even if Danny makes it, she's lost her brother. She's lost her husband. Right, she's alone. She's literally alone. The only person she has to trust right now is Jorah. She's alone, but she somehow stumbled onto an army. Which, yeah, so like, now she's got to an be army. her brothers or her husbands, and now they're dead. So and she's got an army now, and she's got three dragons. So and they're willing you, to follow her. Yeah, and what you see is it's like all right, so the Starks are gonna have something to do with this, but they're gonna be the ones that are getting kicked around. The Lannisters are the ones in power, and Danny's coming up to to take the throne. So I don't know. I mean, it's. Like I said, it's it's kind of boring compared to some of the other seasons just because of all the the character introduction and everything like that, but none of these episodes are wasted. No. Like everything you see or hear, even if it's not like action Especially in the finale. A lot of stuff yeah. happens in the finale. Even with, you know, action and stuff going on, they still move the story along to where, you know, for the first time I saw it, I was, you know, Ned's death was like, Wow, they really did that. This is the first season. You know, yeah, like what, the, are, what are they capable of? Right, killing Drogo, and then like with with Danny and her rebirth thing with the dragons. Like they did all this in the first season. It's just like wow, you everything everything for them that like was set up, like especially for Drogo, just to like make it 
you know, just to show you that you have no idea in this show, as everything progresses, it just gets worse because you get more attached to characters and they don't care to kill them off just to like, and they don't kill them off just to kill them off. They're meaningful things that happen that make it that like, holy shit, like that shock value. They don't get it from the nudity scenes now. Now they get it from killing a main character. Yeah. So like Drogo, for example, like you don't know this guy, you start to like him. He kills her brother. You're like, oh shit, these two just matched up. Like they're about to set the world on fire and then boom, he's fucking dead again. And it's just like you never know what's gonna happen. So we're uh, we're gonna be doing another uh, podcast probably uh, later this week. We're gonna recap uh, season two. Um, like I said, I think we're gonna do seasons two through four in the next couple weeks. Definitely gonna start rewatching. I think we're both gonna do the same thing. Rewatch all of season five, six, and seven. And we're gonna do uh, a recaps lot more on those. Death, yeah, I think we're gonna do uh, a podcast on like our favorite deaths of Thrones. Um, probably do like most gruesome deaths on there, stuff like that. We could do like best battles. I don't know. We'll do a couple like that. But when the season actually new season starts, we're gonna be covering that one and doing. I think we're gonna do like an immediate uh recap, like before we have time to even let anything really sit in. We're gonna do one just of our immediate reactions, and then probably a couple days after that, we'll do uh episode by episode recaps, and that'll be a lot more fun because then we can start talking about some of our uh like. The rumors that we've seen and things that we potential think, theories, yeah, things what could, could happen, happen, things we want to happen, things that might not happen, you know, stuff like that. So, what are your uh, what are your big big takeaways from from season one? I mean, obviously, you've got the the big deaths. I think the the big thing was you kind of see like I mean, we kind of been touching on it, but the big thing to me was was fucking Baelish. Like helping Ned, and then he stabs him in the back and gets him killed. Yeah, well, yeah, you you pointed out a lot of it, and a lot of it goes to Ned. Like the you're supposed to show, they did an excellent job showing how honorable he is, and how they pretty much you know because he's friends with his buddy, because his wife tells him of his duty towards the king. Like they threw him into the wolves' den, and Ned is a fighter. He has never had an issue like ethically taking a man's life in battle or whatever but like he doesn't really swing below the belt when it no. comes to politics and that's what gets him eaten alive in King's Landing and they do a good job of showing how Ned is a warrior an honorable warrior and he's dealing with some people that are more political and selfish and not honorable and it's not like his world. somebody like that can't doesn't stand a chance you know being thrown into the wolves down like that yeah. well we'll uh we'll be back soon with a recap of uh season two we'll uh be seeing you guys soon yeah thanks for listening